0: This is Casting Conscience, a podcast by Conscience and Residency for medical students, residents, and other trainees of conscience. You're not crazy, and you're not alone. I'm your host, Kara Buskmiller. I'm a maternal fetal medicine in Houston, Texas. Today I'm joined by Dr. Abigail Finder, who just obtained her DO from Kansas City University in Joplin, Missouri, and she'll start as a PGY1 in obstetrics and gynecology at Sisters of Charity in Buffalo, New York. Congratulations on your match. Can I call you Abby?
1: Yes, Abby's great.
0: Abby, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for being on. I'm very excited to have you on because we've had a couple of other guests who just matched to obstetrics and gynecology or who previously matched to OB, and their interview experience was relatively a breeze, uh, even though it's tricky, the decisions and the conversations that they had. But I think your experience is valuable because you did not breeze through this. You had to work very, very hard for the spot that you got. So I wanted to know at the start of things, tell me about why you wanted to do OB and and what the beginning of this process was like as you began to consider an application to OB.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you so much for having me. I've been very excited about this. So I have wanted to do OB for quite some time. I think my interest started way back in college. I just always was fascinated with obstetrics and gynecology. And I knew that from some shadowing experiences in college that I liked clinic work, but I was also very fascinated with the OR. And so I started kind of perusing down that road of obstetrics and gynecology. And then when I finally got into medical school, and did my rotations during my third year, I just really fell in love with the specialty. And I knew that, again, I could have continuity of care and follow women throughout their pregnancy and really from, you know, those young teenage years all the way up through postmenopausal women. So I could have that continuity of care. And then I also could work with my hands in an OR and doing deliveries but then as well still have some clinic time where you really get to know the patients and can talk with them one-on-one so it just seemed like the perfect mix of medicine and surgery Uh, and so yeah once I finished my rotation I pretty much knew that that's was going to be my first choice and I was going to work as hard as I could to get that spot that's awesome I'm,
0: I'm always so biased because I'm I obviously did OB residency and whenever another guest comes on who did OB I'm like oh it's the best specialty ever and I, I, I need to rein <laughs> it in a little bit I guess uh, because no. of course we have more than just OB residents in conscience and residency and who are listening mm-hmm. so that's great I really think it's a good specialty with a lot of pros and a very few cons even for us who yes. are, are you know trying to balance tricky conscience decisions so mm-hmm. as you began considering your application to OB what occurred to you as
1: difficulties that stood between you and sitting in the match spot that you now have? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think first and foremost, when I started medical school, I knew my beliefs could poss- potentially be a difficulty because you know i knew there were certain limitations that i have because of my faith and because of just the way i want to practice in the future so i didn't quite know what to expect with that when i would eventually enter in the application process during my fourth year of medical school but then after my second year when i took my first round of boards that was that was really challenging for me and i didn't get the score that i quite wanted so that kind of put a little another little roadblock in my way And so I think when that happened, I kind of had to look at things realistically, and I thought, you know, I knew OBGYN was very competitive, but I still felt very much that I was being called into that specialty. So I decided to kind of keep the doors open, and I would still apply to OBGYN and do what I could, but I also ended up applying to some family medicine programs just in case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that was probably the biggest challenge at first, Uh, but when, you know, I got those scores, that was after my second year of medical school. And honestly, I just kind of used it as a motivation because I knew that, okay, while maybe my scores might not be where they need to be, I know I personally am very competent and I'm a hard worker, team player, leadership, you know, all these things. And so I thought going into my going into my clinical years, how can I prove that? And so I just worked as hard as I could. And I, I truly think I stood out amongst my peers and my attendings at the Um, my clinical rotation site, you know, as someone that, hey, I can do this job and I can definitely work hard and show that I'm good enough. Wow. That's that's
0: so helpful. There's so much in what you said that we could stay with. Um, I think, first of all, it's insightful that you view your beliefs or your choices, or however we want to phrase it, as something of an impediment. I think uh, Mm -hmm. it's nice when people have a positive attitude about their beliefs and say, no, this is actually a, this is not an impediment. That's something that adds to my practice and adds Mm -hmm. to my patient care. And while that may be true, it is an impediment to the application process. (laughs) And and viewing it realistically that, yeah, yeah. And and I think it's, um, a person like myself or you have no delusions about that because we've been through the application process mm-hmm. but sometimes the rhetoric can kind of kind of make it into our mindsets and and I think it's really helpful to have the right mindset about eh, this is a limitation. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And now I, I really want to focus in on how your board scores changed the way that you acted. I think it's really a good point, especially for the listeners out there who may not have gotten the board score they wanted either. If you want to apply to a specialty, go for it. Maybe double apply. I think that's prudent. Change the number of programs you apply to. That's prudent. But you don't have to automatically sign off your dreams because of your board scores, Plus beliefs, the traditional teaching in mentoring or whatever seems to be one limitation you can work through two is too much to ask. (laughs) And here, you know, people like us who have the beliefs already walking into it and that's not going to go away. There's nothing you can like volunteer enough to get that gone because we don't want it gone right Mm -hmm. so if we walk in with that already and then have a second impediment oh you know it can be really (laughs) discouraging right as you know personally intimately so i think it's beautiful that what you did is try to mitigate that as much as possible by showing i'm a well-rounded person i'm an excellent uh, i have excellent qualities for residency and i'm Mm -hmm. sure that that shone through in your letters
1: Yes, I truly believe that they do. And I've been mentoring some of my younger classmates with that same thing because I've had a few people ask me about, well, you know, if I didn't get the scores I want, what should I do? And I truly believe you have to still go for it. You know, I think 100% that God calls us to what we're meant to do. And I, I don't think anything can stand in the way of that. And I think my story is a perfect example of, you know, something that could be seen as maybe two big limitations. God definitely overcame that. And I'm very thankful for that. But yeah, I think so am I. (laughs) Thank you. I I did want to encourage you. Thank you for speaking
0: with the people in the you know, the next classes about what's going on and how to do this with, with grace and with success, which is what you have. So good for you for paying it forward. Now I wanna ask you this, as you as you dealt with these two limitations and you obviously had a very smart ideas about how to mitigate their effects for you, mm-hmm. what advice did you get from mentors from your school, from older students, other students, parents, uh, friends, others, what advice did you receive about your applications?
1: I think that some of the advice I got was you probably should double apply. I know some, unfortunately, some negative advice might've been, oh, well, it's just not going to, OB is just not going to be possible for you. So maybe you should do something less competitive. And I didn't quite like that advice, Uh, but I did hear it occasionally. But I also had heard that, you know, try to get well-rounded letters of recommendations. And so, especially for, obstetrics and gynecology, I had two OBGYNs write me a letter, and then I actually also had a general surgeon um, because I thought that would speak highly of my skill and my ability to work with my hands and something that maybe wasn't just related to obstetrics and gynecology. So I I think that helped me. I think a letter from
0: a general surgeon is a really good idea because that does show that you have some prowess, you know, Mm -hmm. that they're able to say this person is situationally aware, they know what to do with their hands. That's powerful. Yes, absolutely. So that's awesome. So, you received some good advice, some slightly negative advice, but that sounds all very relatively practical and not Mm -hmm. too biased, which is also very good.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I know upperclassmen had advised, you know, apply to as many programs as you think is necessary. So, it's kind of like a scale. If your scores are lower, you should apply to more specialties. Um, mm-hmm. If you have any red flags, apply to more specialties. But I honestly didn't quite listen to that advice. So I, <laughs> I think some of the advice I tried to listen to, but some of it I just did not because I, I truly knew that there was kind of a select few ob and programs that I had my eye on, right. um, and so I didn't go out and apply to 100 plus because I just knew in my heart that even if I did match to those programs, it most likely wouldn't have been a good fit for me and my personality and my personal beliefs. So I kept it mm-hmm. very on the smaller end, which ended up working out for me in the long run, uh, but I think it's kind of everyone's personal preference. So um, if I may ask, how many OB programs did you apply to? So I applied to 12 programs, the so 12 for OBGYN, and then I applied to 11 family medicine programs. Okay, great,
0: great. Yeah. That's a small number considering nowadays people are doing 70, 100, something, mm-hmm. something.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think what gave me a little bit of confidence going with that number was that I was able to do three audition rotations during my the fall of my fourth year of medical school and so I was I went to at least one family medicine program that I did truly love and I felt very confident that you know if you know God ended up calling me to family and I matched there I would be happy and so that kind of made that was why I applied to a lower number of family programs because I was pretty confident with this one program and then I had another one that I felt very confident in uh, so it was really just the, the OBGYN programs that I just had no idea what to expect, but again, God just opened that door and I was able to do an audition rotation at Sisters of Charity in Buffalo, New York, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is pretty spectacular. Wow. Yeah, that he just that door flew open for me going because I was currently living in Joplin, Missouri. So to be able to travel mm-hmm. that far when all the travel limitations were kind of unknown at the time, yet to New York of, of yes, no other place, right? Yes. Yes, That's crazy. Of course, I know. And I had uh, sent um, applications out to other programs asking if I could rotate because, again, I knew that if people saw me in person and saw my all the qualities that I could offer, I knew that I could show them that I was competent and I was deserving of their program. But God just seemed to open the door for Sisters of Charity. So that was ended up being the only OBGYN rotation I received my fourth year. So I went to it and I, I did really well, to be honest, and I was able to work well with the residents and the attending physicians. Yeah, so then I still applied to the, um, what did I say, I think 12 programs, mm-hmm. uh, but Sisters really, really stood out to me. Are you comfortable disclosing
0: to our listeners some of the other programs you applied to in obstetrics?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I should kind of backtrack and say that when I first knew I wanted to apply to ob I started researching programs, and mm-hmm. I knew that I knew I would be limited because in general, I knew with my beliefs, there's only certain programs that I would be comfortable practicing at. And so I actually, my first step was looking at, I believe it's the American Academy of Pro-Life OBGYNs. And on that website, I found a spreadsheet that had all the, the OBGYN residency programs in the country listed, and it had resources about residents that went through this program who had certain beliefs similar to mine, like, you know, maybe they were hesitant to, they didn't want to perform abortions, they didn't want to do sterilizations, and didn't did not want to prescribe birth control, I think are the big main three. And so I kind of could look through this spreadsheet, and it had, oh, hey, this program, yeah, they have residents like you who have been accepted, who have done well here. And then other programs just said, you know, hey, this is a red flag, you should not go here, they do abortions regularly, they, you know, and whatnot. So That was a really big help when I started even looking into programs. And so based off of that, I made my own spreadsheet that just kind of had programs um, in the certain locations and going along with those different beliefs. And so let's see. So I did apply to Sisters of Charity in Buffalo. I also applied to Mercy Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm -hmm. I applied to St. Louis University in Missouri, Missouri in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Um, I applied to a couple other in the Midwest, I believe. I applied to Oklahoma University and Oklahoma State University.
0: Those are some really good ones. I just yeah. want a shameless plug really quick since you're giving me a second. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Conscience and Residency actually maintains that spreadsheet for App Log, uh and for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to stick that in there because it's very important to CIR that we have up-to-date information. Mm-hmm. And the reason our information is so up-to-date is because we're talking with most of those OB residents. And we're able to say, yeah, two matched here and one matched here and four are here. And this is it's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, And the world of OB residencies changes very fast because Mm -hmm. the average program director stays in place for about six years. And as, you know, the the residents turn over every year. So every three to four years, you can have a very different culture at that program. So that's why it's important to me and to us at Conscience and Residency that we maintain very crisp, up-to-date information as best as we can. Mm -hmm. So anyway, and any other programs you want to add to that list? You'd said the Sisters of Charity, which is a, you know, Sisters of Charity and Mercy St. Louis, along with Peoria, are probably our top three as far as friendly to this kind mm-hmm. of decision making. And then St. Louis University, OU and OSU are, are close behind. Mm-hmm. Any details that you feel comfortable
1: sharing about your interviews at these particular spots? Yeah, so well, so I have to be honest with our listeners. So I only actually received one interview, and it was at Sisters of Charity. And I mean, I, I do believe it was probably because of my scores. And I know most programs have a cutoff. And I kind of anticipated that. But again, because I was able to rotate during my fourth year at Sisters of Charity, I really never received one question about my scores, which I was shocked because I still expected, you know, to have that question of, you know, why what happened here? You know, if we see this little red flag on your application. Right. But they didn't even question it because I had rotated and excelled, honestly. But again, because of that, I did not receive other interviews at the other programs. Did you receive other family medicine interviews? I did. Yes, I did. I had, um, I believe I had five family medicine interviews. Oh, congrats. Yes. Yeah. Thank you.
0: And those went well, I hope?
1: Yes, they did, they went very well.
0: So now I wanna ask you about maybe the hardest thing that most of our third and fourth year med students are thinking about as they prepare their applications how or, or maybe better question, did you disclose your beliefs? And how did you disclose your beliefs during those six interviews that you had? Some of our uh, guests have said, Yeah, I, I talked with everybody at every single interview. Mm-hmm. And I explained that I didn't want to do sterilization or abortion, yes. or contraception. And they said this, or it was bad, or it was good and things like that. Mm-hmm. Did you disclose at the interviews? Or did you choose uh, not to do that?
1: I disclosed at some of my interviews. So I, mm-hmm. when I was on my rotation at Sisters of Charity, I had several, actually everyone almost... Every faculty member at the program asked me, you know, why are you here? Why did you come to Sisters? Because mm-hmm. most of them knew that I was from the Midwest. So I am, I grew up in St. Louis, but I went to medical school in Joplin, Missouri, which is a smaller town in Southwest Missouri. So most people were like, what, what are you doing here in New York? Do you have family or what's the mm-hmm. deal? And I know I don't have any family, but I was on a, very open that, you know, well, I just because of my beliefs it kind of drew me up here to sisters. And I was looking for Catholic hospitals and Catholic programs that have, I guess not Catholic programs, but programs that were favorable to Catholic teachings and beliefs. Um, And so I was very open with pretty much everyone I talked to up there, but I also knew it was a, welcoming environment because many of their residents also have those beliefs and their faculty members, including the program director and assistant program director. So I knew I was among good company, but I even there are faculty member, though, that don't practice like that. And they have their own separate clinics and practice the way they feel comfortable doing. Um, But and I even told them, you know, this is why I'm here. This is what drew me to the program. So I was very open about it on my rotation. And then on my interview, I don't believe it came up because I had already kind of talked to everyone about it while I was Mm -hmm. there rotating. And then one of my family interview, family medicine interviews, I did also talk about it, and it was at Via Christi in Wichita, Kansas, and they are also mm. through um, Ascension Hospitals, so another Catholic hospital and ha- and very friendly to NFP only practicing family medicine residents. And so I did talk to, mm-hmm. with their program director during my interview, and I just spoke with him about um, you know I don't really feel comfortable uh, I don't feel comfortable prescribing birth control and I would love to do NFP when I when I would do my OBGYN rotations and would not feel comfortable doing sterilization and what are your thoughts on that and thankfully that program was also very welcoming and they had I think one or two faculty member who members who practiced similarly and a few residents who also practiced that way so those programs actually ended up being my top 2 Sisters of Charity mm-hmm. and then Via Christi in Wichita
0: well, Via Christi lost a good applicant, but I, I think <laughs> I'm very happy that you're going to be at Sisters of Charity doing I what you are dreaming of doing. Yeah, that's really good. Yes. So um, so you went through your application process, got these interviews, it sounded like you handled them pretty gracefully. Mm-hmm. The other programs that you didn't feel quite as sort of conscience-friendly or Catholic-friendly, mm-hmm. did you talk
1: to them about your uh, positions? No, I didn't, and I, I think the reason was I knew Sisters was my only OBGYN, and I had talked to them. I I believe if I would have had other OBGYN interviews, I definitely would have talked with them about it because, I mean, you're doing it every single day with that specialty. But then with Mm -hmm. Family Medicine, like I said, with Via Christi, and then with the other couple programs, I did it, and I think it was mostly because I knew that I I felt fairly confident about either Sisters or Via Christi. But then, and this is where, you know, I – have to be honest I I think there was a little part of me that was still just a little bit nervous about my board scores and so I wanted to at least keep one or two in the bag because I was afraid if I would have maybe talked about my beliefs what they would have said you know and I I wish I I think looking back I wish I would have maybe been more confident and told everyone about it but at the end of the day I knew that I needed to match and then I can help more patients in the long term with the beliefs that I have but I had to match and so yeah that's I think how I handled that.
0: Yeah, I think it's very easy once you're actually matched to be like, oh, I could have been more bold, but it's, yes. <laughs> it's almost impossible from the very vulnerable position of an interviewee to be like, nah, I'll put it all on the table, whatever. Yes. you know, I'll bet everything mm-hmm. on this disclosure. It's very difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bit easier in family medicine not to make a disclosure before match. Yes. I think it, I would very much advise against not disclosing before match although I do know some people who've gone into OB residency and beyond mm-hmm. having the the opposite opinion that you do not have to disclose before hmm. match etc so so this is great thank you so much for telling us all about how this went so you're welcome as you got interview invitations you went through interviews now you're six interviews deep in the season mm-hmm. From there, uh, how did it go? Because I imagine there was a little bit of difficulty with realizing, hey, I've only got six and I've only got one (laughs) OB
1: interview. Um, What happened around that time? Yes, so there was some anxiety, of course, because Mm -hmm. it is it is just a very uncertain time, because you make it through your interviews. And then there's just a waiting period of really about, you know, two to three months until match day in in March. And so you're just waiting, and you really have no idea what's going to happen. And so for me, I just tried to um, truly just say, it's it's whatever God wants. I had done everything I possibly could at that point, and I felt I felt very confident with my top three programs that I ranked, and I knew that I knew I would be happy no matter no matter where I went, and I knew I would still help people and still be able to make a difference with my beliefs as well as medicine. And so I felt confident about the three I listed first and i just kind of had to let it go at that point and say okay you know god if if you want me to do OBGYN, you have opened every single door so far so if if this is what you want like here it is i ranked it first i only have one but you are you know you're gonna open that door and then if not i still will be happy with family and I can still help many people so i mm-hmm. i did have some anxiety it wasn't all roses but i was just gonna say it i still had many moments of anxiety I think most of the anxiety happened prior to my audition rotations because I was going into applying for rotations at first, and I just had no idea what was going to happen. And I wasn't hearing back from programs. And part of it was also due to COVID. Some some programs were not taking students in the fall mm. of, of 2020. So that made it a little bit difficult to get some rotations at OBGYN programs, Uh, So I think most of that anxiety was that summer prior to rotating because I just had no idea what was happening. And I did one OBGYN rotation in July prior to starting my auditions. And I actually do recommend this for our listeners. I think whatever specialty you're in, if you are doing audition rotations, I think you should, if you have time in your schedule, maybe do one before you start the official auditions. So in July, Mm -hmm. I rotated with a local OBGYN that that actually worked wrote one of my letters of recommendation and that was very very helpful because prior to that my last ob was in i believe february of 2020 so there was a good almost six months gap where i was going to be auditioning in front of these programs and so i was a little bit rusty so i think that's great whatever specialty you're going into but yes after that month yeah But after that month in July, I, there were several moments where I, you know, would cry and had anxiety because I just, I truly loved it so much. And I felt my heart was in obstetrics and gynecology, but I just didn't know what was going to happen. But after, you know, completing the rotations, and then when I did get an interview, I felt more at peace that I'm going to be in a good spot no matter where I land. But I was still rooting for that number one at sister's. Yes, and I'm so glad you got it once more. You you are going to be great there.
0: Thank um, you. I, I've realized I'm remiss in asking you for the family medicine uh, the, for the future family medicine uh, physicians in the audience. What family medicine programs did you apply to? So I applied to
1: we already talked about Via Christi in Wichita, Kansas, mm-hmm. and I also applied to Cox a Family Medicine Residency in Springfield, Missouri. Those are good ones. I need to add
0: those to my list. Um, Anywhere outside the Midwest? Or you mostly stayed Midwest?
1: Mostly stayed Midwest for family medicine.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of variables to consider, including,
1: you know, where you want to live. (laughs) Something I would say that's very important if any of our listeners are, you know, questioning whether they should do a family medicine or OB, and if they're in the same boat that I am, you know, even if you do fall into family medicine, which is still a wonderful specialty, I really focused on applying to programs that had heavy OB influence, which was why Cox and Via Christi were my top two programs. Because out of a lot of the ones that I researched in the Midwest, those two, I mean, you spend a couple months on obstetrics. And I mean, you're working the labor deck, just like an OB resident would be, which is very helpful. So then you also get the medicine training on the as well with your other rotations but those two programs really stuck out to me and so that's why again I knew I would be comfortable doing that and they also sometimes train you in c-sections if that's what you want to do or feel comfortable doing as a family medicine resident so I knew like I said I could still get in my OB with those two programs and be be satisfied but not come it wasn't what God wanted so.
0: I'm so glad. Again, I just can't help saying I just uh, am very excited for you. You did have Match Day. Match Day was a big relief. You got matched to Sisters of Charity. Yes. Is there anything you would have changed looking back now on your interview season?
1: This isn't necessarily what I would change about the interview season, but I think it still applies. Something I would just change really about this past year and this process was I wish I would have been more confident from the get-go. There were many times where I thought because of my board scores that maybe I wasn't as competent as my peers or maybe I wouldn't stand out or do as well as some of the other applicants, which was not true at all. So if I had to do it over again, I would have told myself that you need to just be confident and you got this. Like there are no there's no reasons why a board score can prevent you from being just as competent as anyone else, if not more, and get the program that you want And I think I realized that when I did finally get the interviews, but just prior to that earlier in the year, um, I think I struggled with the confidence and the anxiety of, I just didn't know what it was like, what was going to happen and if I was good enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's important that that listeners do whatever they need to do in their application to feel confident. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they're dealing with board scores that are not good or grades that are not good or, you know, and and beliefs on top of all of this, Mm -hmm. uh, that they do whatever it takes to feel confident. And if that's uh, applying to more programs, double applying or even triple applying, I think double applying is enough personally. Mm -hmm. But if you have an advisor who says, no, I've had good results with this or whatever, that's an option. And other, other anxiety-relieving things, you know, having a good support system, journaling. These things are really important. And you do you need to be able to sleep at night, and you deserve to be sleeping at night. You're going to be a physician. You worked really hard. You deserve <laughs> yes. to be able to be confident in your first job search. So whatever it takes to be confident, try and do as much as you can of whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge and a good point, to be confident in, hey, I... I'm going to be a great physician. Someone is going to help me become a great physician. I don't know where that is. And I'm going to take steps to make that happen wherever it is. But in myself, I need to be very happy with the, with the decision that I am going to be an excellent physician for my patients mm-hmm. yes. somewhere, somehow.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: definitely. So that's, that's, that's excellent advice. So is there, any, is there any other advice you got as far as strategy for uh, interviewing with these beliefs?
1: Yes, I did. And it was actually from you, Kara. So (laughs) That's right, I did. That's right. We talked. We did talk, but I'd love to share it here. So again in my Please do. Yes. So the spring of the spring of twenty twenty, before I was entering my fourth year, I research a little bit more and again found the conscience and resident in residency website and I found a contact information and that's how I first heard and got in contact with Kara and so we were able to talk on the phone and she did give me some great advice at the time and she said at the beginning you know even though these are belie- our beliefs and we are so passionate about it it might not be the first thing that you maybe mentioned to a program and that may or may not have hurt me with one of the programs I applied to because in the beginning, I was super excited about my beliefs. And it was a Catholic hospital. And so I just put myself all out there. And I'm I don't I don't know what happened. But I wonder if maybe that could have rubbed them a little bit the wrong way. Um, But then Mm. after that, I did talk with Kara and or with you and then I was a little bit more hesitant to let that be the first thing that I shared about myself and Mm -hmm. the way we had talked about it over the phone was that you know it's not something that we're we're not ashamed of it you know we're, we're not hiding it from programs but at the same time we are so much more than just our beliefs you know we are very competent in other areas of medicine and we have so many more goals and dreams our beliefs being one of them so it's I think it was great advice to not focus in on just that and making that only who you are because we are so much more than just that, even though it's a huge piece, but I think there's more to share. And I had mentioned that on, I believe it was my Sisters of Charity interview. Even though I knew they were very friendly to my beliefs in the first place, I did mention that on my interview that, hey, this is how I want to practice, but I'm so much more than that. And another advice I got from... One of my OBGYN mentors was, you know, we're going to be seeing patients from all different beliefs and backgrounds and Mm -hmm. cultures. And so you can't really go in with one mindset of this is the only way it's done and the only correct way of practicing. Because even though we do believe that, there's so many more women out there who are being treated in different ways and aspects. And another piece of advice that I received from this mentor was even in terms of abortion and, you know, how... You know horrible it is, and it's for always. For me, it's been such a, you know, just kind of takes your breath away that this is this is really happening in the world. But that being said, you know, we're gonna have patients that maybe they've had an abortion, or maybe they've had complications from an abortion, and if they're coming to you, you know, you still need to understand what that is and what how it works and the techniques, even as horrendous as it is, because you have to take care of these women who might be coming to you from post any of that trauma that's happened to them. And so I think it makes us better, well-rounded physicians to not completely separate ourselves from these things that we don't agree with, but we, I think we still have to understand it and keep it in our back pocket so we can help treat these women and kind of open their eyes to this new way of, you know, life and medicine.
0: That's a whole bunch of really good advice. I just want to clarify for our listeners, conscience and residency is not itself Catholic or religiously affiliated, nor does it have any particular belief on any of the things that some of its like beneficiaries or members may, may hear in coaching or may want to decide themselves. So I think most of the members of Conscience and Residency come to us wanting to th- avoid things like abortion, but CIR in particular itself is not opposed to anything in particular. So just wanted to clarify that really quick. But gosh, Abby, that was a whole bunch of good advice, I think. Okay. I I do want to point out in particular that that second piece of advice was really, uh, I think, interesting because that mentor talked about patients coming from all walks of life. And from our, from your perspective or my perspective, it might be relativist to sort of say, well, you have sort of one flavor of many types of ice cream and you have to be Mm -hmm. not really imposing that flavor on anyone else who might want to, you know, go strawberry or go chocolate while you're talking vanilla. And while you and I don't see our choices as in parallel with other sets of choices it is very factually true that people will come from different belief systems and you can't go to an interview nor can you go to an exam room thinking my way is the highway. Mm -hmm. You must go with an attitude of a servant to the patient and see what you can do with them and how you can take them from point A to point B wherever point B is that will be absolutely best for them. So I think that some listeners may have heard that piece of advice and thrown it away out of hand because they might label it relativist. I know I did. I got that that exact piece of advice, and I was like, well, that's trash. Thanks very much. <laughs> but uh, in retrospect, I think it was a valuable piece of advice. And there's a couple of things like that that I probably would have done well to listen to closely and not probably dismiss out of hand like I did. Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, yeah, well, that's wonderful. And going off of that, Kara, I'd really like to tell our listeners something that you told me last year. And you said that we have to teach patients the charities of Christ before we can teach them the teachings of Christ and that really stuck with me because you know most of our these beliefs you know they are coming in from a place of religious background but at the same time we can do so much to be just be there for our patients and be good listeners first and foremost and be good physicians and mm-hmm. be there for them and let them build that trust with you and be a confidant for them. And I think that opens the doors to all these other avenues of that, you know, who knows what could happen in terms of sharing your beliefs and sharing your faith. But I think first and foremost, like you said, it's the charities of really building that rapport with your patients first.
0: Right. And again, for any listeners whose hackles are rising a little bit, I think that's not to say that the church of nice or somehow being nice is better than being pro-life or pro-whatever you are. That's just to say, when you meet someone first, you have to meet them at point A. And kindness goes a long way in helping people understand what you want to tell them if you want to teach them something about what you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So anyway, I th- I think that's really... You received a lot of good advice. Did you get any bad advice?
1: <laughs> Other than I think people just being surprised that I was doing what I was doing so I think your journey is yours and you have to own it and you can't compare yourself to what your classmates are doing I mean you can take all the advice in and learn from them but at the end of the day this is your story and your journey Um, because I think a lot of people would raise an eyebrow if they knew oh you only applied to this many and you only got this many interviews and they, you know, can judge you and think what they want. But I think you have to just own your own story.
0: I think that's, that's a good piece of advice, too. My eyebrows may have, may have done some raising during this because I'm <laughs> impressed that you. I'm <laughs> impressed with your story. Thank um, you. I think it's much more typical, especially in 2020, for people to have applied to 70, 100, 150 programs, especially if they were concerned. So yes. good on you. You are bold. Um, and <laughs> Thank you. And you got what you wanted. So double congratulations to you. Thank you. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know? These are medical students. These are residents. These are sometimes post-grad trainees or attendings who are listening. Um, Is there anything else you want them to know before we sign off today?
1: I would just tell you all that you need to have confidence through this journey and don't be afraid to be yourself no matter what your beliefs are. Be accepting of others and yeah, be yourself and be bold. That's
0: a, a fabulous piece of advice. Conscience and residency's tagline is is you're not crazy and you're not alone for just that reason. <laughs> people should feel supported because there's more of us than than you can imagine. Yes. So today I was joined by Dr. Abigail Finder. She's a DO from Kansas City University in Joplin, Missouri. She's gonna start at Sisters of Charity in Buffalo, New York as an OB resident here in a few weeks. Yes. And I'm so, so pleased to have you joined us. I'm your host, Kara Busk Miller. I'm an MFM fellow in Houston, Texas. For Conscience in Residency and Casting Conscience. Thanks so much for joining us.